0: This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 45,000 beer and brewing enthusiasts worldwide. The AHA publishes Zymergy Magazine, hosts the national homebrew competition and homebrew con, and equips members with brewing tips, proven recipes, and money-saving deals on beer, food, and brewing supplies. Founded in 1978, the AHA remains true to founder Charlie Papazian's timeless advice, relax, don't worry, have a homebrew. Celebrate beer and homebrewing with the AHA at
1: homebrewersassociation.org. Hey everybody, it's John Hall, the senior editor of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. I'm in our nation's capital, I think for the first time. No, I've done the show from here before. The beers are already kicking in, but I haven't done it from here and I haven't done it with this guy who's sitting across from me, Greg Engert. Of I guess officially it's neighborhood restaurant group, right? Yeah, that's the collection. Yeah, but nobody nobody knows that. Yeah, no. Everybody knows Blue Jacket. Everybody knows Birch and Barley. Everybody knows Church Key. Everybody knows Sovereign, and you are the beverage director, the owner, co-owner, the mm-hmm. the creative force behind the beers that we drink at, what are arguably I, I and it's not much of an argument. Uh, some of the country's better new generation beer bars in the country right now. Thank you. Well, thanks for doing the show. My pleasure. Great seeing you. So we're sitting here at Church Key. Uh, We're at a a back booth. It's happy hour has sort of kicked in 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 the district right here. And I have to say that I'm usually down here and hanging out at your bar during... One of the the savers or pandemonium, when, yeah, yes, or sir. when the craft brewers conference comes in, or like when there's all sorts of stuff, and you can't get a table, you can't get a chair. This is this how it is, like on just like a normal drinking night, or no,
2: well, or am I freaking you out? Where it's like it's Tuesday, yeah, yeah. No, I think what we see here is in DC, people work a little bit later, okay. So like six thirty seven, it fills up, okay. But yeah, so we open at four. In a lot oh, of that's ways. Much just much too a, late for my job. Exactly. Yeah. I know. We actually can't open to four because uh, I mean we could, but we don't because we're receiving so much beer and we're cleaning everything and putting everything back together. So there's so much work that goes on to prepare this place for each service uh, on the beer side that we don't open to four. But between four and seven is always a great time to kind of check this place out. It's much chiller uh, until we get to the weekends. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, like compared to CBC when – 15,000 people descend, yeah. they all come here. Uh, it, it's it's cool, I guess, but it, it can get a little bit intense. So it's a good time to be here now. How many years has this been open now? So that's what's crazy. When you said uh, kind of a the new generation, I was flattered um, by that for a number of reasons, one of which is that in 2019, Church Key will be a decade old. Wow. Has it been that long? It has. And, and, and I, it's, it's a sore reminder for me because I was in my late 20s when we opened, and I will be <laughs> so 40 yeah. uh, next fall right when we uh, celebrate the 10th anniversary of this in October of 2019. So that
1: is crazy. Uh, yeah. All right. So I want to talk about the the impact that this place has had in, in a few minutes, but all of the various beer bars that you have, in as well as Blue Jacket, the, the brewery, uh, as well here in the district. Um, it, it's a word that I, I, I think I've been using too much, but it, I, I haven't come up with a better word yet. So, what is your philosophy on beer service? Because I, 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 when I think of your places, uh, which, which I've been to multiple times and you know been forcibly removed from several. Um, <laughs> You know, I I think of the beer, but I also just think about the way that it's presented and the way that, you know, even right off the bat, you're mentioning that you guys are cleaning your equipment daily, that you guys are getting new shipments in all the time, which is not something that you get from like a neighborhood bar or, you know, so, 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 so much of that flows through you. So what's the philosophy that you try to impart on the folks who work here and that you put out to your customers on a daily basis? Well, yeah, I think philosophy is uh,
2: is is a, is definitely the right term. It's definitely the right term today for it because it is a uh, you know a, a kind of list of, of edicts that we um, operate around and have for a decade here. But you know, we've been doing craft beer in neighborhood restaurant group for fifteen years, and I've been uh, involved with it for longer. So uh, it's something that came about. For me, it really started about 15, just over 15 years ago, um, and the idea was to, to match the 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 passion, but the the attention to detail, uh, the effort, the care, the consideration of sommeliers and even mixologists back then that were just starting to really pick uh, the mixologists trying to pick up steam, but mostly to match all of the efforts of the brewers. Um, in our service. To say that before so much so much time, effort, blood, sweat, and tears, artistry was poured into crafting the beer, um, and then if you could even find it, it would typically just be served like any other industrial beer going back to the mid-90s, late-90s, yeah. early 2000s. And so when I encountered that in the early 2000s, I, I, I said, you know, this is just, the, the, these beers deserve something more and I was coming at it from a wine angle and just said we need to to, to match uh, the service of the sommeliers and, and to you know basically say if you're going to spend all this time making these beers in those days on the west coast because that's where a lot of our great craft beers were coming from in the early 2000s out here It was no good to not give it the same kind of uh, love and care that it was getting in its creation once it got here. So many times it would get here, it would be left warm someplace, it would be old. I mean, drinking bombers of stone ruination in the early 2000s that were six months (laughs) old was like, people were like okay with it because they couldn't get it elsewhere. But I was just saying like, what if it tasted like it did out there? What if? And that was always my goal was to say, if brewers could come to Church Key or Rustico Alexandria, our first beer yeah. place in Virginia, which is still going strong, and tell me, which they have, our beers taste the way they do at our breweries at your spots. Then we've done it. And then I said, what if we can make them actually taste even better? And that's when we started to <laughs> <laughs> uh, to, to institute things like temp controls. Yeah. I mean, where we are right now in Church Key, we designed the first uh, temperature control draft system in the U.S., that is something that I don't think a lot of people realize. 10 years ago, you would drink all beers coming out at 35 to 37 degrees. And unfortunately to your to your question about philosophy today in 2018, that's still the case. It's crazy to me that that's the case. I mean, and most even the best beer bars in the world are serving their beers too cold across the board. Their pilsners are too cold at 35 degrees, you know. Okay. So, we changed all that here and we've done it in our other spots and I think a lot of people appreciate it
1: although I think we can do, be doing more. And your temp-controlled system, because I wanted to talk about that, uh, is not a flux capacitor, right? This no, is Gabe no, Gordon's... Uh, no. Yeah.
2: But but this is... That but, came later. And we actually don't... I'm happy to tell you why we wouldn't use that,
1: but um, yeah. Sure, we no, yeah. Why not? Because, I mean, that's the one that yeah. gets a lot of the attention. It's, co- um, yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's cool, cool thing. Thing, yeah. And yeah, it's a cool-looking thing. Yeah, Great name. Yeah. Uh, and does a lot of stuff.
2: I, so, let me see. The, the big, The first thing is that um, we need to temperature control the beers. That that is that is what we want to do, and we know that. And of course, you're going to be dealing with different CO2 breakouts at that uh, when you start to change temps, whether you're holding them at those temps or serving them. But when we started here, uh, we were holding everything at the temp it would serve. It would be served at so 42 degree cooler glycol that's keeping it at 42 until it gets to the tap serve at 42 yeah. same thing for 48 same thing for 54 and we developed in 2012 uh, uh, a way to hold everything at 37 which is better you won't get that gas breakout uh but then zap it through he- reverse heat exchangers on the way so that it would turn into that tap when it gets there and that's what we've done it like sovereign blue jacket owens ordinary our place up in uh, bethesda in maryland um so we're really we're really careful. And By pursue. the way,
1: I love the marketing that you're doing. Like you've now worked in, I think, all of the places, except for one. Now at this point in the group, right? Isn't there a burger joint that uh, that you haven't? Oh, mentioned
2: yet? Uh, well, there's there's actually about a dozen more <laughs> in the group. But but no. Right, so but we not got 45 minutes. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can drop that. Stay tuned. In yeah. You're, uh, yeah.
1: So um, <laughs> I love the mark. You're just uh, like no, dropping uh, uh, casually, uh, just it's like very right in the casual. Conversation it's there. Yeah.
2: But uh, but no, i say so. Keeping the temps is the first most important thing, and then obviously we don't want breakouts. The gas blend idea that Dave's using on the flux capacitor is really cool, and it makes a lot of sense. It's super geeky, which I love, and it is for sure true that te- kegs with different PSI, different pressures, yeah. need to be served at different, with different gas blends depending at the temp you're trying to serve them. That's for sure. However, it's really tough. It would be tough here if every time we tapped a keg to go up onto our mezzanine, tap the keg, adjust the gas blend we think is right and somebody's sitting up there and then adjusting the, the, the PSIs on the keg itself while you're trying to pour, you'd spend a good deal of the keg just trying to get it right. Yeah. What we've found is there is um, a gas blend that works for at, at these temps across the board uh, a PSI that works for each of the temps and then uh, we use flow control faucets yeah. which kind of solve everything. So I think the flux capacitor looks super cool and it definitely does a lot of great work. Um, but I've def- I've noticed I've seen it in a lot more places in New York City, for instance, recently, and I don't think a lot
1: of them are actually using it. It just seems like it's it's up a nice there. it's a nice yeah. showpiece. Yeah, and I mean uh, I, I guess yeah. it, that brings me to the other part of it is a decade in here, and I, I remember being here, gosh, right after you guys opened. I was in town for for something unrelated at the time. When you were you writing know, a book at the
2: time, I was, and you were downstairs at Birch and Barley. I think you sat at the yeah. bar.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think that was one of the nights I was forcibly removed. Um, <laughs> just joking, maybe. Um, you know, but from back then to now, um, I haven't seen a wavering in that commitment. And, and, and this isn't blowing smoke because what I find in traveling around quite a bit, and I'm, I'm sure the folks who are listening, um, you know, when, when you travel around, um, there's places that have a great list but don't always have the commitment to the full service, like like the, totally. the experience from beginning to end. And because I think that it's really hard. And running a bar or running a restaurant and running certainly both is very hard to begin to with. Begin with right. and when Even you if you're serving on, Budweiser and Wings, right. it's hard. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you start to add on all of these extra layers, I, I think it's that insane. at some point like <laughs> you can just be like, ah, you know, yeah, you, I you can, can just have this as a showpiece. I can just go from there. Where do you guys have those reconcile with yourselves moments where it's like God, it's another Tuesday and I gotta, you know, I gotta do this like, you know, should I, like, is it like, what keeps the the motivation going? Is it you know, is it reputation? Is it ego? Is it just you know, like the day that like it no longer matters, is that the day that you, you know, you pass it on to somebody else? I think it's all those
2: things. I think it's, you know, but first I want to adjust the fact that you're absolutely right. I mean, when we started out, when I started out in this, um, even before Neighborhood Restaurant Group, I saw an opportunity to do something new and something that I thought needed to be done. You know, I mean, I was at the Brick Skeller, which is America's first beer bar. Yeah. Rest in peace, no longer around. But in 1957, this place opened up with over 20 different beers and bottles and cans. Which
1: was this is crazy. Yeah. When you think and, about the year and the amount. They had corona
2: yeah. then, and that is something to be celebrated because in <laughs> 1957, Corona was cool. That was awesome to get back then. But like they had, so they had that going for
1: them. Wait a minute, it's not cool now.
2: Uh, depends on who you okay. are, I guess. I, I, I guess I don't know. No, it's, <laughs> it's a horrible beer. No one should drink it. I mean, come on.
1: <laughs> All right, we'll get back to I mean, that. That's we'll stick for a sure. That okay, yeah. Gower, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. So the Briggseller, like uh, you know, they were doing it, and an, an, and just serving all these great, amazing beers. And at that time, procurement was necessary when, more than anything else. In the 70s, the 80s, and into the 90s, just being able to get something that wasn't industrial swill was important. So procurement and, and just and, and just showcasing it was enough. Uh, and that continued for a long time. But when I came to it, I was lucky. I was at the Brick Scaler. We had 2,000 bottles and cans of beer. We had a number of drafts upstairs, but not that many. And luckily, a lot of the beer was bottle-conditioned beers that are built to last, Belgian stuff that, and, and English stuff that had, could last for a couple of years. Um, but, you know, so I looked at that and said, wait a minute, what if we just, what if we turned all of our attention and passion to this and made it taste even better? And what if we matched the passion of what we said before, right? So I saw that and went after it, and it made a ton of sense to me. It elevated the product without making it pretentious. We started to look at beer and food pairing. And I, at that point, 2004, I thought that's where the industry was going. Okay, and it wasn't. It, it it wasn't. What has happened instead is a preponderance of beer, and not a preponderance of service. And so, to your point, in two thousand nine, when we opened Church Key and Merchant Barley as a temple to beer, service, and care, uh, with temp controls, with perfectly clean glassware. I mean, using high temp dish machines that do not employ chlorinated cleaners, uh, things like that. I was like, this is the way it's got to be. This is the way it's got to be. But it became at that time so popular and so much good beer out there that it became more important just to have certain things than, to, than the way that you serve certain things. And that, I think, is, is unfortunate. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, Megan Krigbaum, I don't know. Do you know her? She, she's a, a wonderful writer. Yeah. Um, she worked at Food & Wine for a number of years. Now she's, with, she's a punch.
1: Yeah. She's I up in New York, yeah.
2: In New York, right. She is a friend of mine, and she contacted me about a glassware story she was writing I'm not going to name names here, but she—I I was immediately like, "Oh my God, yeah!" And I gave her this whole my whole spiel on glassware and how important I think it truly is. And she had asked a couple of other Republicans, uh, uh, new Republicans, uh, about their ideas of glassware, and they were like, "Glassware really doesn't matter to us." And there you have it. I mean, these are and these are places that have dynamite beer list that people may line up for and would be celebrated online. But glassware not that important to them now. So I always say that, you know, serving craft beer does not a craft beer bar make because it's not that hard to get a lot of great beers that people are going to line up for. The cool stuff, the hazy stuff, the pastry stouts and, and the fruited sours. What is hard is tending to five different cask engines yeah. every day, replacing the lines every two weeks, which we do, dumping cask beer because it didn't move fast enough, even though it just cost... Hundreds of dollars to get it here from Scotland or England or wherever it else is. Like, that's hard, that's expensive. And what drives me is like, when you get a perfect pint State side, it reminds me of being in a pub in London. It makes me want to go back, it brings back great you know, ideas, and I feel like we're keeping some traditions alive.
1: Well, all right, so you just hit on about nine things that I want to uh, now you know, follow through with. Yep. So we are drinking Cascale right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- what is this? So this is from.
2: This is called Maverick. Uh, it is a, uh, a bitter uh, from Fine Ales, which is one of my favorite uh, breweries in the world right now. It's a brewery that's been around for about 20 years. I'm oh, sorry. They just celebrated their 17th birthday like a week ago. Yeah, with a Y, right? Yep, F-Y-N-E, yeah. Ales. They're from um, Scotland. They're from just northwest of Glasgow, uh, on the coast, near Campbelltown, right near Oban Distillery, to put that in. 100-Year-Old Farm. This is Jamie DeLapp is the... Is the you know, managing owner now, but his mom and dad started it. Um, it's a farm that's been around for 100 years. They changed it over 20 years ago. And they're, they're, what they're doing is something that I love. More Beer does it too, uh, where they take classic British-style beers, but also beer-making methods, single infusion, um, real ales, stuff like that, and then they uh, Americanize a little bit. They'll use some different uh, kinds of hops. So I think this has Centennial, and Bramling Cross, so it's yeah. very British, but it's also very American.
1: Yeah, and and so here's the thing, and and I think that a lot of folks who are listening right now might have the similar experience. When I travel around to beer bars, and I see a beer engine on the bar, you know, near the bar, or whatever, um, I immediately discount it. It's gonna recoil in horror, <laughs> right? So because I, it it's almost never done well uh, here oh, in the yeah. U.S. You know, there, there's never proper cellaring that happens. You know, there's people who you know treat cask in the same way that they would a keg and and no you, you, you obviously can't do that but right before we started recording you sat down and you put these two pints down in front of us and just looking at the beer I knew that it was from cask and I didn't have any worry which which, right. which is kind of cool and I I guess the biggest thing though is can you justify even in the long term or ten years in uh, but for another ten years of dumping hundred dollars worth of beer hundreds of dollars worth of beer um, you know what's essentially profit uh, because it didn't move fast enough and is it is, is it twofold like is it one like okay like sure that's just the way that it's going to be or two where does education come in mm-hmm. to try to convince more people to drink cask especially in this market right yeah. now where
2: yeah no, they don't even want know, to drink out of a glass right now the, the, it's cans. Okay. So you know, what
1: I mean, so I yo, you're right. Yeah. Where,
2: where do you stop? Uh, I don't know. I can't stop. It's so I can't stop. I love this. I I came but from at one a point, different like, time. They, I mean, know, do the accountants come down and just be like, knock this the fuck off? That's where the ownership part is good. I I mean, like, I I happen to be one of the owners here. That's helpful. Because yes, if I was just some guy who came in off the street today and was like, I've got a great idea, it probably wouldn't fly. And frankly, we could be making more money if we didn't do a lot of these things. I mean, do you know draft cleaner, like, caustic and and then also acid we use throughout the year to clean these lines? It's insane. And like, you know, but it's just, it is, what do you want to do? Do you want to do this or not? And I think it always will justify itself until it doesn't, because frankly, I, church, I don't want to have. I don't want to be in church key. I don't want to drink in a church key that's not dispensing Cascade of this quality. It's just not church key anymore. It, it'd just be another one of these places that's serving three kinds of beer uh, that I just mentioned yeah. before. And 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 oh, by the way, I love those beers. I love pastry sauce I love hazy IPAs, and I love fruited sours. I just love them alongside unfiltered lagers, real ales, uh, bone dry Belgian triples, you know, things like that. So it's just it is what it is it's the path we've chosen we may go out of style it would be unfortunate we may close but that's what happens you know what i mean some people survive if they stick to it and and i think education we're all in but frankly at the end of the day we move through probably six to eight casks uh i'd say about six yeah six to eight casks a week here which is good and we we do service we we use breathers but we don't we don't tap in breathers until we get about two days into uh the cask so we're doing sauce piles and then we're switching over to a breather to get a little bit more time uh you know we're letting the cask settle for. so you know i think it's just it is what it you're treating it
1: well you're not just absolutely american manhandling at it oh yeah 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 yeah
2: and that's how we get a little bit more time out of it because you can't go through a cask any quicker in my experience and have variety but the product mix is big right i mean people drink draft beer and thankfully draft beer is king. So even if we're dumping some casks, or even if we're not moving as many bottles and cans anymore, our cost percentages are still good enough because of the way that the mix is.
1: Perfect. Oh, wow. Wonderful. Thanks, man. Wow. Beer, too, just hit the table. And another
2: cask. Ale. Yeah, this oh. one's from Ridgeway, so not in Scotland. This one is uh, in England. It's uh, Peter Scully who was at Braxbeer before yeah. he got to Ridgeway. And Braxbeer Bitter was uh, one of the greatest bitters ever. When I actually started in the early 2000s at Brickskeller, uh, the brewery had closed, but they still had some bottles left over, so I was able to taste it. But Peter does Ridgeway. He brews Coniston for the U.S. market. Uh, he does the series of kind of famous, infamous holiday beers every year. This is Lump of
1: Coal, his Holy export stout,
2: And uh, on Uncast.
1: That is aggressive. For an English beer, it's
2: like early yeah. yeah yeah
1: um wow all right getting a lot off of that and i probably
2: shouldn't Yeah, i forgot it's maybe a little strong for no nah, it's for, fine yeah it's about eight percent we don't
1: have anything to do tonight it's fine um <laughs> so the uh all right i want to change gears a little bit because w- what i found interesting when you're talking about the early days of brick sculler um they had to go out and procure the beer They had to be the proactive ones to go out and say, hey, you know, brewers from around the world, hey, small brewers from around the country, uh, we want your stuff. Right. These days, if you're a beer bar and you're a beer bar like this, I can't imagine the emails that you must get, especially being here in the district where distribution laws are
2: to wax. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um,
1: You know, and and that's just sort of the nature of the nation's capital, which I think is kind of cool is that, you know, pretty much anybody can can come here and everybody wants to come here. And since everybody is from someplace else for the most part, uh, they want their hometown beer, their home country beer or something like that. So with 7,000 breweries in the country um, and you can pretty much have access to all of those if you wanted, plus the international, it's not so much about procurement as much as it is you're the gatekeeper. Discernment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's discernment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How how do you even begin to approach something like that?
2: Yeah, it's crazy and difficult. You're right. I mean, uh, we do get a lot of emails um, and uh, taste a lot of cool beers. I mean, some really cool breweries have started with an email. It's like, hey, I want to send you some beer. And I'm like, sure, I'll take some beer. And they send it. I'm like, wow, it's amazing. We'll go on. But I think... There are 7,000 breweries, and yes, you can bring anything you want into the district without using a distributor. However, many breweries are very small, and they don't need to send any beer beyond their tap room anymore. So, right. We are lucky to have a reputation that will draw some out of their uh, out of their tap rooms more than others, but it's a little bit tough. And then if you can, the thing I will say, just to disabuse some people of the uh, notions of, of what it means to sell beer in D.C., John's right. It's the only jurisdiction in the U.S. where you do not have to use a distributor most do right you don't have to but the reason why and i've talked to so many beer bar owners that are like man i wish i lived in dc if i had a bar in dc i'd you know do what you do and it's like well maybe the problem is is that if you don't bring in enough beer the freight cost is more than you're going to pay on on distribution interesting and, and you have to find a place for it so we're lucky to have a number of places in dc that i can spread the beer around To each place as it comes in, and and that is helpful. But uh, you know, I think it's word of mouth, it's friendship, it's tasting, it's traveling. You know, if Sean Hill tells me that there's a cool brewery that I haven't heard of in Germany, I'm gonna. Try to get my hands on it immediately, you know, to taste it and bring it in. The Shelton Brothers from Belchertown, Massachusetts, Dan Shelton (laughs) and that group. I mean, they are an incredible You just drop these in
1: effortlessly. It's just... I mean, I have... These
2: two beers we just had on Cask are both from Shelton Brothers. Like, these guys make... And they 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 do the legwork.
1: yeah, Yeah. And they get... So a lot of it is trust on some level with the relationships that you have.
2: Yeah, but also yeah, absolutely. And then I've also been lucky enough to travel with these guys. So like, I'll go to Franconia and taste, uh, you know, Franconian lagers from some of the most incredible little breweries in the world, uh, including uh, Zehender, which makes monksmbacher. If you haven't had that, you need to go there and drink it. It's unbelievable. Um, You know, and and so then you learn more that way and. And it's all about, you know, tasting. And, and you kind of, you know, at this point, I'm almost 40, right? You know what you like. And uh, I'm always about, though, to, to the point about how many breweries there are. I like to find breweries I love because the best breweries make everything incredibly well. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Hill Farm said. Uh, Suarez, family brewers. Uh, De La Sainte. Yeah. Uh, Mars. Mars Boy from, from Bamberg. You know, th- and across the ales Ridgeway. I like to find those breweries, commit to them. And bring in as much as
1: possible in support, uh, and, and, and that's what your customers yeah. come to expect yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, like they're going to come in and they're going to be like, "All right, if if it's on," and that. But that's got to be, I guess, the tough thing as well. And I wonder if that makes you a little gun shy because if if somebody comes in and they know that you have that reputation, and it's okay, like no matter what this is going to be a great pint. Like, that's sort of the expectation that you have here. Yeah. Um, that's really tough because, you know, you might take a chance on somebody, um, but you can't necessarily take, like, the leap of faith.
2: No, never. Uh, no, 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 no. And even when that's when this stuff comes in, we're tasting it. I'll give you a great example.
1: Yeah. Um, Kotzka uh,
2: from, you know, Kotnasumabja. It's one of the best Czech brewers yeah. in the world. Uh, they're from west of, of, just west of Pilsen on the border with Germany. They make incredible uh, unfiltered, and unpasteurized lagers. We strive to serve Kotska 10 and 12 year round uh, on draft. So the 10 and 12 degree, they're both pale lagers from, from, uh, from the Czech Republic. Bitter, dry, hop forward, amazing. They're unfiltered, and unpasteurized. We buy them in bulk. We store them really well. Every now and then, one of the kegs won't taste right. It's not anything they did wrong. Frankly, it's probably something we did wrong with storage uh, or not maybe getting the beer on draft, whatever it is. And like we said, like with the cast, we taste it, we dump it. But we go to huge lengths to protect those beers and make sure that we're not serving something that wouldn't be proper. Yeah. And it's all in the service of what you said. For someone to come in and go, I trust you. I've never heard of all these Kazoon Height beers, like you said, but I want to try them and I'm willing to spend good money, hard-earned money on it because... I trust you.
1: Yeah. I mean, when I came in and I was setting up the equipment and you weren't here yet, uh, one of your servers came by and I, I just said, I would like a delicious lager, please. And didn't even look at the menu and whatever I got was, was delicious and a lager and exactly what I was looking for because it's that leap of faith. And I feel like that in lesser places, you know, I wouldn't do that. Um, you touched on some of these small breweries uh, and there's so many that are out there these days having their tap room and that the beer doesn't leave the tap room. And in recent weeks and in recent years, I guess more, more, more so, we've seen some of the original beer bars in the country. Uh, you know the great places. You know your 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 Map Room, uh, your Hop Leaf, uh, uh, Falling Rock. Um, you know, sort of rail against the tap room model and the brewery model, um, or even in some cases where breweries are now opening up their own. Tap rooms that are not brewery, yeah. that don't have an actual brewery in it, but like just serve you know all all of their beer. Where's is there a line for you on a brewery that is eating into your market? Where it's like okay, like you guys are you know too big, or you guys are gonna cut into a, you know our bottom line, you know to keep our lights on and our employees paid and you know all of that, or you know is. Are we headed towards some sort of great reckoning as well between right, yeah, beer yeah. bars Stand and breweries off, as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a phenomenal question and one that we could,
2: frankly, talk for hours about. And, and honestly, I would say that we should we should think about trying to get Michael Roper, uh, you know, Chris Black, myself, Tom Peters, and, and but also a lot of the, some of the younger, uh, newer publicans on a on a panel at some point to talk about this. I think it's, seriously would it. be great. Uh, yeah, I'd love to. I have to say that, first off, I love um, all those guys I just mentioned. I, I love Hop Leaf. I love Monk's Cafe. I love Falling Rock. I, uh, yeah, I love the Bricks Kelly. I, I love everything they've done. I think that they've been uh, super loyal to a lot of brewers as they've grown. I think I have been, too. But I looked at Chris Black when he wrote that uh I guess like treatise. It's a yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I I went and, and he made a cool point about. I mean, some of the classic beers that he's still serving, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale for twenty years. he has got a special tap handle. Uh, you know, New, New Belgium Ranger, I think it is, or you know, Fat Tire. But like, anyways, like he's they've been incredibly loyal. I can understand how they feel burned, especially because they were doing it before I was. I mean, you know, um, I am. I have to say, we own a lot of different restaurants and bars. We do a lot of different things. We have beer at all of them, but some of them aren't beer centric. So I take a little bit of a wider view. The restaurant business is super hard. I think that, you know, there's over the last 10 years nationwide, there's been like a 22% increase in restaurant openings in DC in that same time period, it's been 67%. It's insane. Labor's impossible to keep. Uh it's just it's a nuts it's a nuts world. So I guess I'm just kind of a little bit more fatalistic about it. I think that the world goes where it goes, we have to be responsive. I'd love to never change some of these things that we're doing, but I just am kinda of like things change and I I don't love the fact that these guys are are experiencing hardship because some of these brewers are competing with them. But you know, I mean I think Michael's Roper's talked about you know we've had to sell more wine and cocktails we have too
1: and it's have you have you seen a, an uptick in that
2: yeah well we kind of you know to be honest we opened in 2009 we started with it yeah uh, and we just always wanted to have a more well-rounded like experience because you gotta hedge your bets uh, you know when you first got it we started this you know it was a little bit less busy than it clearly is right now sure well 10 years ago it was busy right from the start
1: so like I just I'm just I don't know I'm just and do, resigned I mean, but do you know if people are going to the new place down the street or are they going to a tap room instead or are they going to like do, do you do I think you, in DC I can tell you they're going to some place new I
2: think and in a lot of places everybody it's a it's a, it's a, a lot more um, exper- experimental instead of experiential the idea of the neighborhood bar and restaurant is, is dying and has been dying for years I mean We list things out. We want to try the new... I do it, so I'm not casting aspersions. I I think it's phenomenal. When I go to a new city, what I try to do... It's kind of what I try to do my beer list, right? If I go to Colorado... I'm, I'm going to go to Good Zur because I got to see this place that's devoted exclusively to sour beer and try to figure out how they make that work. <laughs> um, but they do, and it's amazing, and I love it. And the, the incredible it's food menu, spot, yeah. Uh, yeah, I might add, like incredible cheese. I don't know how they handle cheese so well there. It's amazing. But but then I'm also paying my respects, and not just paying my respects, enjoying the hell out of going to Falling Rock. Yeah, you know what I mean, like. So th- I'm doing that. But a lot of people are just like, you know, but then what's at new? some
1: point though, during your time in Denver, somebody's going to say, Hey, we're going to go check out this new spot or we're going to a tap room or we're going to, and of course you're going to go along with it as well. Yeah. I mean, that, that's yeah, just sort of, sort of so the, the way, tap way that we thing, are. Let's talk about things. that. Yeah. yeah. Cause I've kind of skirted that. So
2: tap rooms are tap rooms. I think people go to tap rooms. I love tap rooms. They're super fun. Um, they're What I think they do is provide something new to do, right? Like, so there's, like, you can go to a baseball game, you can go to a bar, you can go to a restaurant, or you can go to a tap room. I think it's kind of a separate thing in some respects. Um, I get it that it's taking some people away from the beer bar, as it were, but I think beer bars pull people out of the neighborhood bar or pull people out of the, the wine bar, you know what I mean? So I think we're all, listen, we're all fighting... For tooth and nail For for guests And I think that I know that this place Has changed uh, In many ways Even though we're still Committed to our Base philosophies And tenets We've changed a lot And it's just It's the nature Of the game Now I don't know where I stand On the idea of Everybody kind of Dividing up the beer market uh, Because I think that That's where this comes down to right? Right It's like You get to make it But I'd prefer that You sold it through Us I'm I'm very, very like, understanding and in, in agreement on a lot of those issues. But I think to think that, that the system, the way it's been for so long, is going to remain like that, it's, it's just... I just don't think it's it's possible. I mean, I think it's gone past the point of return. I don't know what some of these others think is going to change at this point that's going to deter, deter taproom sales, for instance. It's
1: trying to stop the tide from rolling in in some ways. It's It's already... It's already up to our ankles and beyond. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. yeah.
2: So, what do you think? I mean, do you find? Do I'd like to know what you think about it?
1: I like both. You know, I like coming to bars like this where I can get a wide variety. And you know, in the in the city in New York, it's no secret to anybody. I drink at Blind Tiger regularly because you know I trust their their owners, their their managers. You know, the folks where I can just walk in and just blindly order. Um, But I also really like going to tap rooms because it's different than going to a local beer bar. Uh, Tap rooms are indicative of a neighborhood, and you can get a sense of a neighborhood uh, better than I, I, I think that you know. Even sitting here right now, I don't necessarily know like what's happening around right. you know the walls around me or outside in the in the general world here. But in in tap rooms, you know, it's it's a personification of brewers' philosophies, owners' philosophies. Uh, you know, it's not trying to be a one size fits all or hey, we have some cool mood lighting or you know like you know whatever. It, it, it's yeah, their, stripped down for sure. Enough. Right, it's it's their place day in and day out, and it's it's what they want to represent. Yeah. And so I think that that gives me a better appreciation of the beer. Um, whereas here, you know, it's about, you know, the beer itself and not necessarily, you know, about what's on the walls or anything else. As right. long as, like, it looks nice and, does, and doesn't right, offend doesn't right, 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 And I do think that there's room for both. Both, me too. You know, I, I, I do, but I also... I guess they're I, arguing I that
2: there isn't because people yeah. are choosing the latter than the former of what you just described. Yeah. And, and We're going to get that, Chris
1: Black on this uh, on this show yeah. uh, down the line and I and I'd love to hear, you know, from him and, and to, to so yeah. Chris did Chris Black, uh, the co-founder of Falling Rock in Denver, on his blog, and if you go to the Falling Rock website you can actually read uh, this, you know, long screed that he put out about what he sees as the current state of uh, being a publican and being a bar owner. Um, and, and being in beer service in 2018 is all about. And, and I encourage folks to go read it uh, and then really consider what he has to say and see how it impacts your life uh, as a drinker, as a listener, um, and, and see if it actually moves you one way or the other. And, and that sort of brings me, as, as we start to wrap up here, you know, to, to the last point of where do the consumers come in as to where service goes in the future? And because, I think because yeah. we're in this untapped era, and we're in this Yelp era, and we're in this, you know, the customer is always right kind of thing. Uh-huh. But like, not always, because it's a dance. It's a dance. It's
2: always every every commercial and artistic and commercial endeavor is a dance, right? You're trying to balance the needs of the creator, the the artist, the publican, the restaurateur, whoever it is, with the Desires of the guests. To think that anyone is able to just 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 produce whatever they would like uh, in a vacuum and expect people to just lap it up for days is is ridiculous. And no 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 artist, no business person, nobody has ever done that. So it's always a dance. We win on the I think on the the public side when we get to keep doing what we want to do with um, a modicum of. Uh, you know, adjustments for the guest, right? I mean, but at the same time, it's adjustments. For instance, I bet you, and I know for a fact there are a lot of people that come into Church Key and hate the fact that we have televisions on the wall. It's like... I'm not a fan.
1: Right, exactly. I'm personally not a fan. Yeah, and there's so lots right of people now, that are like yeah, that. Yeah, ESPN is playing. There's an Ant-Man movie playing. Um, you know, and I like both of these things in other contexts. But right. just, yeah.
2: So that is, in a perfect world, I think a lot of publicans would agree, that, that no, there should not be televisions in bars. However, it's not just our perfect world. We have to get it. So that I'd like to say that is a bigger um, a bigger point here about change, evolution, and where we go. The one thing I'll say, and what I would say about the whole idea of you know massive beer bars came about based on very specific circumstances in time, very specific pressures of the market of production of, of brewing uh, things like that. Like the Falling Rock, Church Key, Monk's Cafe don't come out of nowhere. They come from certain uh, pressures and stresses and time periods, right? Same with these tap rooms. But all I know is that same with Hazy IPA. And what I can tell you right now is that in five years, Hazy IPA is not going to be what Hazy IPA is today. I promise you that. It's already not what it was six months ago. Yeah. And so all we can be sure, uh, sure of is change. So for anybody to think that we can just freeze something in time and know that's going to happen, it's not going to happen. Right now, loggers. This is a great bellwether thing. All right. Uh, Be United is uh, another great importer. Has been bringing in beers based From off of. yeah. yeah based on, and and OEC, their brewery I think is super underrated uh, as far as the sour beers that they produce. But these, you know, Matthias and the team there has been bringing in beers uh, for a long time based originally off of Michael Jackson's guidebooks, including like Shanker Law uh, and others. And they, ma- they brought in some beers a while back that they stopped bringing in for a long time that have now come back. So St. George and Breu uh, from, from Buttenheim in, in Franconia is an incredible brewer of unfiltered, unpasteurized Keller beer. Uh, I used to drink that in the late 90s, early 2000s. It disappeared. Yeah. Now it's back. And not only is it back... They're bringing it in in tank containers and kegging it stateside. And so when we get it, it's super fresh, the price is pretty good, and it's coming back. Now, they're not doing that because I've been selling those kinds of beers for the past 15 years, which I have been. They're doing that because there is a place in the market for it. It's back now. That's something crazy. Five years ago, if I said, do you think Keller beer from Franconia will be a big thing? In 2018, or bigger thing, nobody would say yes. now. So we don't know what's coming. We just need to stick with our guns. I think something that's great about having a lot of tap lines is that we can keep serving the beers that we've loved forever, welcome in the new styles we never even dreamed of existing, and showcase what's going on in beer yesterday, today, and tomorrow, rather than maybe just what was going on in beer before or just today. And so I think that that's that's been my mantra for a long time. And I think if you stick with that, you stay flexible, you're going to be okay. Do you have a hope for beer? Some of the stuff I just said, I think, is my hope for beer. Uh, My hope for beer is that people continue to do what they're doing right now around us with beer, which is come out, hang out with each other, drink as many beers as they want, Safely, and have a great, great time with each other, and, and, and you know, and explore it. But my biggest hope is that, like when I first started drinking the Michael Jackson books, I'm sorry, drinking and reading those books, I would see that
1: there I were. I mean, you put there, anything into a Ninja Blender, and it'll just yeah. It'll exactly. Liquidify, yeah. But
2: like the thing is, like, when I would read those books. I would see that, like, he had he was he was finding beers from the way back, and from the recent past. And, and, and celebrating them alongside the new stuff that he was tasting then. I mean, I remember one of the first beers I ever served Michael Jackson at the Brickscaler, because he used to yeah. go there every yeah, year. I know. Was Stone Rernation. and, yeah. yeah. He'd and he'd come yeah. in and he goes, I want some hops. It's like, think about that. In 2004, Michael Jackson was interested in the, I don't want to denigrate, but, or, or, you know what I mean, but like the hazy IPA pastry shot of that time. Yeah. That's what it was. He wanted to drink those. The
1: aggressive, bitter, yeah, yeah. West was, Coast, yeah. you know, yeah, he was smack always you in the open for that. A, yeah. yeah,
2: he was always open for what's new, as long as it can coexist and it should and can coexist with what's come before. And that's what—that's uh, my dream for beer. That's why we have here comes the plug, the here Sovereign in Georgetown, uh-huh. uh, serving true lambic, because spontaneous beer is great, but no spontaneous beer in the world comes anywhere close to what is being made. In Brussels and in the Paysant Land, even now, of course, you know, and so that, that's, you know, that's what I hope is that it all keeps growing, the amalgam keeps expanding, but with not, but without like excising beers that have inspired the whole thing.
1: Makes sense, Greg Engert, from all of the various places, the neighborhood restaurant group, I guess we'll say, but. From uh, Birch and Barley and Church Key and the Sovereign and uh, the nine other places. Uh, how many how many all together? Well we have
2: uh, incl- well I I, it's, I I hate to qualify but There's like a lot, we, huh? we, yeah it's 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 eighteen. Yeah, okay. it's eighteen. Yeah, right. but you know, a couple of awesome coffee shops called Buzz, and we have a great wine shop and stuff like that. So yes. But all right.
1: So all of these various things, but uh, all beverage director the, yeah. the the beer guy.
0: Yeah, the beer guy. Uh,
1: to to distill it down into uh, you know the old vernacular, as it were. Uh, thanks for sitting down. Thanks. Thank for, you, John, for sharing this uh, this uh, these beers with me and this uh, this conversation with our listeners. If you have questions uh, that you'd like to hear addressed on this podcast, if you have uh, guests you'd like to hear or just general comments altogether, you can reach out to me directly. It's John Hall, J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at beerandbrewing.com. You can join the conversation on Twitter at John underscore Hall. And you should go to beerandbrewing.com where you can subscribe to our magazine. Uh, Both of the magazines, not only the Consumer Magazine, but if you're a brewing professional, you should sign up for our Brewing Industry Guide, which comes out four times a year and covers the news and topics that you want to hear. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Greg, thanks again. My pleasure. And thanks so much for listening. Cheers.
0: This episode has been brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, the country's only not for profit membership organization dedicated to promoting the community of homebrewers and empowering homebrewers to make the best beer in the world. Brew with the AHA at homebrewersassociation.org. And remember, relax, don't worry, have a homebrew. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.